Welcome to the Routed Cards podcast on RoutedCards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Greeno, and today I've got uh, uh, Rodney Vallejo joining us today for this podcast. Thank you for joining us, Rodney. Yes, thank you. Uh, thanks, as always, Patrick, for having me. Uh, yeah, of course, of course. So today we're going to be talking about kind of a, a medley of things. We're going to be starting off discussing COVID-19, and then we're going to kind of just <laughs> blast through some action items here, and we're going to close it out with a modern product. So let's get right into it here. Um, MLB's response to COVID-19, right? So mm-hmm. how is baseball played during this time of uncertainty? Like what, what would be the best way to produce games um, and, and have the players actually produce results and kind of have the fans be entertained this year? Rodney, what is your, uh, what is your stance on this? Well, I like what has been recommended by Dr. Fauci and even what MLB is going along with, which is if they were to open up in the near future, playing in front of an empty stadium is at least the bare minimum for me. But then in addition to that, I've seen some other proposals that haven't been have been uh, not really approved or accepted by the Players Association where I think last week there was an option where they would be the players would be in their respective spring training locations and the games would go on in either Florida or Arizona. Um, now I know that the players association denied that that was ever seriously considered, but I mean, that's another option too. Either way, I think safety is the most important aspect and them jumping into games, um, sooner, uh, I, I think that's a risk and you, I think playing it safe and letting things continue to play out, see, where the progress on the disease is going before any um, of the luxury things that begin to come back to society, like playing baseball games occur. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I'll present an idea here in a sec. I think that, uh, you know, Arizona has a lot of great minor league uh, uh, destinations, Mm -hmm. if you will, with the fall league and the, the various leagues that play in, in Arizona that that's, that's been happening for a long time. Uh, great idea. I like it, you know, and, yeah. and you know, these players, regardless of if they play, they're going to be paid because they're on contract, mm-hmm. you know, and so, and they want to play. So they, we got to be smart about this oh, and yeah. find the safest way to do that. Here's, and so I, I so I like that. I mean, I, I again, um, this professional advice uh, on this stuff is going to be, uh, most, much more uh, qualified than what the, the idea that I'm going to come up with, but I, but whatever, it's cool. It's cool because I like to co- to talk about this stuff, and I, I definitely, I know that baseball is such a part of the American heritage, and so um, I think I'm, you know, you know, I'm one of many people who would like to see some baseball this year played at mm-hmm. some point. So here's my idea. Now, Rod, you, you and I probably, you know, we grew up on games like uh, video games like uh, MLB 2K five or whatever like yeah. we, you get up I'll and go you, back further yeah Especially i mean baseball <laughs> yeah 64 <laughs> so and it's super nintendo right you go even oh, further yeah. than that mm-hmm. so um and and there there are there's now you know xbox live produces you know you can play other 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 people on xbox through like you know the the inter the inter the internet connection right mm-hmm Mm-hmm. So here, I was thinking about this all this week. I was like, "What's the really the safest way to do this?" Yeah, you know, here, here's here's my proposal. You'd have the company like I don't know Activision or whoever makes the MLB 2K series. Mm-hmm. You'd have them produce a version of the game that has the entire roster of every active player and their managers on the game. Yeah, and it's just exclusive for this particular situation. They uh-huh. get access to it through some sort of subscription service through their own Xboxes. And if they don't have Xbox like connection or service, they get granted one. And all the mm-hmm. players play themselves in the Xbox Live. <laughs> like, that would like, be great. Yeah. They all play themselves. <laughs> and, and then and then it's managed by the managers. And the managers are playing themselves. And people are yeah. going up to bat just like they were on a regular baseball game. But they're playing with controllers in their own living room. And they're playing themselves. And so whatever whatever statistics are logged... Would be their that that would be their their year's performance. I mean, obviously, it's going to be like a very of like a it's not going to be a real version because they're not playing real baseball. But this to uh-huh. me would be the like the easiest, safest, and maybe most entertaining way to produce the twenty twenty season. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think that's a really innovative <laughs> concept, and it, it's borrowing from what uh, I think NASCAR is doing right now, and they're they're where they have drivers actually racing online uh, against each other, and it's also like loosely based off of um, what you've been you may have seen the past couple the past week where you had NBA players playing each other in games of horse uh, from their respective locations. So it's like a combination or a mashup of those two things where you could have a team of nine players from, let's say, like the Reds, they're all in their different locations, which might just be a hotel room. And you would be playing against, let's say, the the New York uh, Mets, and they'd be playing against each other. And then you would have the radio comm between um, maybe the players. You'd have some, like, layer of trash talk, if you will. That would be really – that's a really innovative idea and would be fun, like you said. And um, – I think that's something like Sony is the the one who produces the company that produce or publishes uh, MLB the show now. I right, think that's yeah. the only I was the thinking about game. The, the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater games because I grew yeah. up on those too, and that's all Activision stuff. Yeah, that was back I think who know they may have been the ones who did two uh, K the two K series. But yeah, I think I mean because there's such a close partnership between uh, MLB the show, that franchise, right. Sony, it's on the PS four and right. then the players, I mean that would be really cool. Just from the gamer in me would be really entertained by that. Of course, you know, the massive fans, who knows, but you could just, you could actually videotape and show the players playing the game. Again, this is East, like what you see on esports now, but that would be cool to me. That's really innovative. <laughs> and it would satisfy players like Mike Trout, who recently have come out and said that they still don't feel confident about uh, playing uh, live games in front of, um, well, fans even. I think he said that. I made a statement about a week ago. So yeah, man, video games. That's the uh, that's the future. Of, <laughs> that's the future of Major League Baseball, right? So, exactly. <laughs> the yeah. safest way to do it. I mean, obviously, the fans aren't going to get to go and get their hot dogs and you know sit down and enjoy the game, but they'll be able mm-hmm. to watch it in a different format, and it might be sort of entertaining. Like, yes, this is Mike Trout, but he's this is the Sony MLB MLB 2K20 version of Mike Trout. Like, how cool yeah. would that be? Just kind of know that Trout's behind the controller. That's that's you know <laughs> like controlling his player it's just yeah, such a cool concept hopefully he's as good as he is as he is in real life or else it's like uh, <laughs> right you know, start wondering about his cards yeah he turns <laughs> into bar. like a, a phil plantier you know <laughs> yeah uh but the last thing I'll, I'll say too that's neat about mlb it's related to covid is a couple days ago they're participating um i think all but three teams in MLB are participating in an antibody study to help identify uh, the body's response to COVID-19. So I think that's really neat that, I mean, they're tapping, researchers are tapping Major League Baseball teams and they're willingly participating. So hopefully the results of that can help with the the progress towards a normal, a, a new normal sometime soon. So. Yeah, I mean, we're all kind of working at this. Everybody seems like together. It almost seems like every country is working on trying to find a solution as quickly as mm-hmm. possible, which is really in the united, pro- like the united aspect of of the world is is pretty. It's pretty amazing. So this is kind of an interesting concept, and I like the concept of incorporating video games into professional sports. I think that's just such a cool thing because I grew up in playing video games. Like I, I grew up on the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and the MLB yeah. 2K series, and and you mm-hmm. know I still. I occasionally will play a really old vintage baseball game on on the regular PlayStation. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, it's that to me is like my fa- is to me is my favorite system because the catalog of games is so good. I think the mm-hmm. PlayStation itself, just as a, as a system, is a, a very superior system to to a lot of the different systems that I've played. But there have been a lot of great systems throughout. Like you know, Dreamcast was fun. Super Nintendo uh-huh. was fantastic. But I, I look at it as like, well, b- video games are such a part of us in our childhood. Mm-hmm. A lot of us, especially our generation, you and I. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I was played video games all the time when I was a kid growing up. Um, the Nintendo 64 obviously had Griffey Baseball, me being a Griffey fan. So I had that and Slugfest. But on yeah. the PlayStation and the PS2, that's where some of the games like Triple Play 2001 mm-hmm. was a favorite of mine. And then even later in the mid 2000s, I think MVP Baseball 2005 uh-huh. yeah. was my that was my one of my favorite games ever made. Uh, you know, baseball games. I could never so. figure out pitching in that game though. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. 
it is it is but hitting was quite fun hitting was so, great you get that like yeah. you can get the like special code to get the club to like hit the the ball to make the ball go you know oh way yeah out of the out of the stadium that ML, uh mvp baseball is a 2005 i think that was a it was a very solid game i only had read yes. about that game like two years ago and i acquired it and i was like man mm -hmm. yeah i guess the reviews are very you know they're they're accurate this is this much fun you know um mm -hmm. i will say mm -hmm. this though Speaking of vintage baseball games, MLB yeah. 2K5, I think, was, in my opinion, the best of all the games because it's the most realistic, and it was still licensed by, I think, MLBPA, so they were able to use, like, MLB mm -hmm. uh, uh, MLB uh, uh, score music that yeah. really worked with the music, with, with the game. Mm -hmm. But we're going way off topic, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. But all, check this out. <laughs> the, when you get, like, codes to work through the game, like, oh, you get, like, you know, you can jump further or you can run faster or whatever. I've owned yeah. this game twice. And I and yeah. every time, both times I've sold it, I need to buy it again. But both times I've owned it, you I've the, 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 the screen to enable the cheats that you gain as you progress through the game, you uh -huh. can't activate them. They're unactivated. Huh. It's like it's like a glitch in the in the in the production. Like they didn't they didn't they wouldn't didn't make that screen interactable. So you you just go through the game in in normal mode without playing with all the cool fun little features and things. Oh, or that's the Xbox version, rather. The Xbox, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I can't account for the other <laughs> the other systems if if that glitch still exists in the other systems. But MLB Two K Five was my favorite. Moving on, when we talk about registry set collectors. Um, mm -hmm. People who collect, maybe even not even registry guys, just guys who collect. Like I, I collect, you know, PSA ten rookie cards of you know their their era or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. and they only collect PSA ten rookies. They don't, and then they they try they try to avoid the lesser grades. And this has kind of always been a thing for me too, because I like high grade stuff, but I don't I don't call myself a registry collector. Like I would I don't have a I don't have an account with PSA where I log my entries for what PSA cards I have. I have many of them though. And I try to mm -hmm. get you know, I try to collect the highest grade stuff of the cards that I grew up loving. Mm -hmm. But I also like vintage cards, and the further back I go, the more lenience I have to have on the grade because it gets expensive. You know, the older it is, the cheap, the, the the lesser grade you're gonna have to be willing to accept if you're on a budget, some some amount of a budget. Um, and so, my my question to you, Rodney, is bouncing this off is that if grade is no longer a strict um, qualifier for whether or not you're gonna buy a car, like okay, I can't buy a ten. Mm -hmm. in in a in a 68 tops ryan like i've mm -hmm. been buying tens of 80s and 90s stuff right like the clemens and puckets and everything else but if but the further back i go i obviously it's going to be hard for me to afford a 10 of a, of a ryan rookie so what is it that what be, and because another thing too is it because so many of these cards have been printed i have i can have scrutiny over which one to get and i can wait and be patient and so the question becomes at what point do i make the decision to buy the card and if grade is not going to mm -hmm. be in my spectrum of grade requirements, say it's like eight, nine, ten, what do I mm -hmm. look for? What are the things that I should be looking for to um, to to help uh, stimulate the, the 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 desire to acquire to finally acquire that card? Because there's never any end, right? There's like these cards mm -hmm. are available twenty four seven in a perpetuity. So Rodney, tell me what would what would want you what would make you want to make that purchasing decision besides just grade? Well, I think just if you're looking at the condition of the card and it's more like it comes down to just simple eye, eye appeal. So if the card is centered well, that's usually the most glare, like the noticeable or most glaring issue if there is a flaw, if, if the card does have some sort of a border. Now, with borderless cards, you don't have to worry about that. But then other the other things that stick out to me are, OK, are there any visible really visible surface issues. And I'm not talking about scratches. I'm talking about for more modern, you would be see a refractor or a print line. And more vintage is, are there um, uh, wax stains or spots or, or dirt or oil spots on, on the card? Um, and other, like, it, you know, speaking more towards the vintage aspect, like you alluded to, is, is the vibrance of the color. And... Like, for example, 1954 Tops had so many 
you had different colors that were featured in the background of the players. Like Hank Aaron had an orange background. Willie Mays had a yellow background. I think the vibrancy of the colors, even um, if the car, if the card itself maybe doesn't have great corners or there's edge wear, I'd more focus and care about centering um, surface area and like the vibrance of the color. Now, again, that's just me, but w- what do you think? W- what are the the parameters, if you will, for you? I'm a big fan of pinholes. You know why? No, yeah. <laughs> because cards are generally with with pinholes, they get like grade one, but the card has amazing eye appeal. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. <laughs> I, I see so many cards like that on eBay. I mean, not mad, so many is a very a, a, aggressive term. I, I see some yeah. over the course of time. Mm-hmm. Um, anecdotally mm-hmm. right and so yeah. i i have i have what i what i look for is that kind of thing like it's it's like a pinhole draws a card that would otherwise be like a six to a one immediately because it's, it's missing a piece of, well it's not missing a piece of the car but it's got a hole through it <laughs> yeah. so but i look for that and generally those cards are higher grade and eye appeal overall because they just they're clean you know, mm-hmm. they just look really nice. There's a 33 Gaudi Gehrig I saw on eBay recently that had a had a like a, a punch through the bottom corner, but otherwise it was like an amazing looking card. Great centering, great color, yeah. everything uh-huh. looked amazing on it. But it was a yeah. one. It's like fifteen hundred dollar one, but man, that was the best looking one I'd ever seen. I, I could yeah. I could handle the the hole punch through it. I don't even care. And so yeah, um, I like that. But if I can't get that. I look for mm-hmm. centering. Centering is the most important thing for me. I can mm-hmm. have I can have registry just slightly off, just slightly, just and that's pretty normal with vintage cards. And if there's mm-hmm. if the centering looks good, I'm I'm all about it. Even if it's got like rounded corners and like there's tape marks on it and there's like or folds and crease. creases. Yeah. If it's got mm-hmm. great centering, I'm all about it. Like I love yeah. it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's the other thing too, is that if you look at really vintage cards, what would you rather have? Is a really clean, like good color? But way OC, like like ninety five five, or would you rather have one that's kind of beat up? It's got horrible surface condition flaws, but it's well centered. Which one would you rather look at? See, to me, I always want to see a centered something in a frame. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm in the same boat. I think centering is the most important. And uh, you gave you gave kind of like scenarios of if it's off center, are there rounded corners or edges or even creases? Like I would take all of that. And going back to your hole punch, I would take the hole punch because of the vibrance of the color, the centering. I don't because when it comes down to it, when with certain cards like the thirty-three Gaudi, that is uh, who knows how many are out there. And over the test of time, like you know that you have that, and that's just something that I will be in my mind. I'm willing to. Uh, handle and deal with so to speak all the flaws because of just look at this card look at how the fact that i own the card is great and now that i have the luxury of picking between um i get now a great card that just has a hole in it (laughs) right but everything else looks great i'll take that all day but i'm with you on centering as well yeah all day yeah Mm -hmm. and you know you know too is that the the hole or the hole punch or whatever it is that's 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 puncture the car bring card comes with a story you know, yes, like, you're like, exactly. why, you know, you, like someone put a pin through this and probably hung it up on a pin board somewhere. And like this mm-hmm. was displayed to be enjoyed in raw form for a long time. Yeah. And it was untouched it, because it was on display. So it wasn't like handled and thrown shoe boxes and whatever else. Granted, I see like star players cards with hole punches in them, not nobody players with hole punches in them. Well, that's mm-hmm. obvious because I'd rather display a Garrig than a no name on my my pin board. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and so. And you bring up another good point about um, like the story. I think that's a really compelling part uh, about the vintage cards that because I don't collect vintage, uh, but I, I feel like that is a major, not a major, but I think it's a contributing factor to the drive. Yes, the people who collect vintage more likely, more often than not, grew up in that area. But then for the modern collectors who didn't grow up in that era, people like me or you can appreciate a story. When you're looking at a car that has a crease, a wax, a hole, a hole punch, whatever it may be, rounded corners, you just it makes me think, like, this is the card, and it's been through so much. Where did it go? And then you hear about the story, maybe, if it was in a lot in a major auction house. It came from this collector, or it was found in this shoebox in an attic or buried somewhere underneath a tree. Um, 
I think all that stuff really is cool and it just provides um, more intriguing or contributes aura of the card itself. It's almost like you're finding a diamond in the rough, literally. If you go to a diamond, well, I'm, I'm ever going to go to a diamond mine, but you, before the diamond is cut and polished, like that's its true form and everything that got to that point and it's discovered there before it's cut and polished. That's how I, in an odd analogous way, I like that too with the vintage cards. Is yeah, it's in beat up condition, but it has story, has a, has a story behind it. So you don't go to diamond mines often, man. I go to two or three a week. Easy. <laughs> yeah. No, I. I Fortunately, I, yeah. So so the thing with me on vintage is 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 that just having it graded or slabbed, mm-hmm. authenticated is like means means all the world to me, right? Because then I know it's not because. I, t- I talked about this with somebody recently is that if you're going to, if, if someone's going to forge a card, they're not going to forge a, a low end, nobody card. They're going to forge like a Ruth, a mantle, a Jordan. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to, if you want to de- dive into the old stuff, I encourage, I always encourage collectors to go make sure that they're authenticated, you know? Yes. And if you're going to buy them, you know, try to get them from a reputable house if you can. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, Grading, grading is a good thing, but if it's if it's high dollar enough, sometimes the source you have to question the source. You have to make sure the source is credible, like exactly. who you're buying it from. So that's another piece I want to talk about. But the further back you go, the thing about this conversation is the further back we go, if we're going to have more lenience on final grade, what are some of the things we look at? And, and I, I, you know, this is an interesting dialogue for you and I to have, just because I know a lot of us collectors. You know, I know people who struggle with go. You know, how how far back do you do you do buys? Like, well, I haven't decided. You know, for vintage because I haven't figured out what grade I want to go with. I've I've had these conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I wonder. I'm like, well, after at a point, grade is kind of becomes kind of secondary to to eye appeal, in my opinion. And so, yeah. this is this is the whole concept. Is like, at what point does do you not do you no longer consider the the grade of the card and just look at the card for what it is and appreciate its 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 appearance. And that's yes. this. This becomes more of a thing as you go old, you further back in time, as you buy. And if you're like modern guys who are collecting, like I was saying before, you know, um, uh, off the record, like guys who are buying PSA 10 Mookie Betts cards, mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. buying PSA 10 Griffey rookies and Thomas rookies. You know, the further back they go, it's okay to buy a PSA two Mantle. You know, and it's, it's uh, it yeah. just, just has good eye appeal, and it's just it does still work and fit in your collection because it's themed as still baseball or whatever it is you're collecting. So mm-hmm. glad we got to talk about that. Yeah. So next on the list here, um, let's talk about 1996 Zenith Diamond Club baseball cards for a minute. Zenith w- is was a, a, a an arm of Pinnacle, mm-hmm. and in 1996 celebrated sophomore year and uh, produced you know a variety of different insert sets, all of which impressive because it was a Pinnacle thing, and I always liked what Pinnacle did between its hollow foil, it's base foil, it's dofex, it's artist proofs, mm-hmm. the whole gamut of stuff. I've always liked what Pinnacle had, had per- gave us during their time oh, yeah. frame. That said, they brought us a, a set called Diamond Club in 1996. And the base cards, the actual cards of the Diamond Club, uh, they have like a holographic, I'd say refractor finish. I'd say hollow foil finish because it's mm-hmm. not technically a refractor. It's, it's a exactly. hollow, hollow foil. Um, mm-hmm. So you and they're, they're beautiful cards, you know, and they they have some value, a couple dollars a card, you know. They're 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 one in twenty four was the insertion ratio on these. they uh, the set uh, possesses it's, it's twenty cards, and the roster of players is is you know all the guys you'd expect to see in the ninety six anything. You got Mike Piazza, Ripken, Bagwell, Thomas, uh, A Rod, Alomar, Sosa, Sheffield, Randy Johnson, Maddox. Chipper Jones, Mo Vaughn, Albert Bell, King Griffey Jr. I mean, the set is stacked with mm-hmm. a lot of classic guys. And, you know, to kind of throw in another version of the, the, the card, Zenith also brought us a parallel of this set called, well, you know, creatively called 1996 Zenith Diamond Club Parallel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the parallel does not feature the hollow foil finish it's just a flat finish but it does feature a diamond embed in the the bottom section of the card 
Um, and if you have the base card, you can see kind of where that embed would be because it's it's pronounced with a little like embossed little black diamondy shaped bump on the card dimple. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the parallel in that space, uh, the, the is is a little diamond embed. These are one in three hundred and fifty packs. They're quite a bit more significant, significantly more tough to pull cards. And I, I started working on this set in two thousand and. Well, okay, okay, so let's in two thousand twelve. But I acquired my Thomas in two thousand ten. I was at a, I, mm -hmm. I was living in, in in Huntington Beach, California at the time, and uh, I was going around and looking for card shops and to to go check out, and and I found one, kind of near Bellaterra. And, and I, I went over there and they had, it was like kind of off the cuff. Like it was like up, up the street. And then like it was on the left and kind of tucked away in, in, in a, in a strip mall. And I went in there and it was this kind of pretty big retail space, mm -hmm. mostly comic books, like rows of boxes. And then they had this one display case kind of off to the side, kind of not toward the back, but off to the, one of the sides of the, like when you walk in and you look to the left, it's off on that far end in the middle of the, the room. And I remember mm -hmm. looking through it. It was everything was kind of dusty, like it hadn't been touched in years. <laughs> and I looked in there and I saw the Thomas Diamond Club parallel. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how much for that? I'd like to get that. And he's like, I don't know, ten bucks. And I was like, done. That is wild. <laughs> it's so cool. What right? a fun. Yeah. Yeah. And w during that fun. time too, I had acquired uh, um, that same uh, that's and during that same visit, uh, 1997, um, EX 2000. Essential credentials, Emmett Smith, for like mm. three bucks. <laughs> Sounds like a very awesome trip, <laughs> card wise. That was a good. That was a, <laughs> those, those, wise, are, those yeah. are good buys, right? So yeah. Um. Anyway, going back to Diamond Club Parallel, it's got the diamond embed, no hollow foil, right? Mm -hmm. And I've been collecting this set for a long time, and I, I'm I only need as at the time of this recording, I'm three cards short of finishing the set. Mm -hmm. I expect to get the two of two of the three for a pretty good price with the third bringing in probably a, a hefty figure if I can bring if I can ever find the card. Mm -hmm. what, whatever the case. I know the difference between the parallel and the base pretty easily because I've been doing this for a long time. Recently, mm -hmm. there was a sale on eBay. And Rodney, you may have caught this. Is that it was? Uh, yeah, it was the Griffey. And I, I look at these sales pretty frequently. I, I just kind of pass through them. And I was like, well, okay, this is the Griffey. And the Griffey the sale it was the card didn't have the diamond embedded. It was like it was like carved out. And I, yeah. I there, there are other cards. There's like a Pro Mint sample with a diamond embed in it that I own. And with the first copy I got had the carved out diamond. It wasn't in the card. It was just a little like place where the diamond w used to be. And mm -hmm. so I know this kind of thing happens, unfortunately, with cards with diamond embeds. And there's very few releases. There are very, very few releases like this, but mm -hmm. this is one of them. And so I just kind of passed the listing on to others saying, hey, after, after it sold because I watched it. I was like, hey, this sold for like 42 bucks or whatever it was. It was like 40-something dollars. Yeah. And like, despite it not having the diamond in it, uh, it's a pretty good sale. And then <laughs> some, someone corrected me. I was like, hey, that's the base card. And I was like, oh, you're totally right because it's got the hollow. I looked at I, I, I pulled yeah. it up and looked at it more closely. And I was like, yeah, this is the base card. Someone deliberately tried to shark the market. Mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know? And so I have to I have to kind of talk about this because some of us might not be as familiar with the set that and I go through. I, I look at so many listings on a daily basis for either my own collection or for blogging or whatever that sometimes I don't pull up a listing directly just to like look at it more closely. That was kind of yeah. that when that that happens like whatever, but mm -hmm. if you're in the market for the Diamond Club parallels and this you come across something like this, just know that if it's a Diamond Club parallel, it won't have a a, a hollow foil finish. Yeah, just be a flat and, finish. Yeah, flat foil finish. And I, I was I always thought about why why did they not put the hollow foil and the diamond <laughs> on the same car? You know, yeah. and I think we, this is what we talked about last week too. Is you would imagine that the general sense of parallels uh, in the 90s and even today are that you start simple and then the most, the high, the, the rarest parallel or insert is going to feature some type of design that makes it stand out significantly from its base counterpart. And with the Diamond Club, your base is the hollow foil finish, but then your 
parallel, which is seeded much higher, brings in more money, is just simple foil finish, but of course has the diamond. And I argue that the hollow foil finish takes wood was viewed. Let's let me say this again. I, I viewed that I imagine that the pinnacle employees who were involved the design thought that maybe the hollow foil finish would take away from the diamond or even the small bling that you that you saw. But I mean, that's a stretch of an explanation. The more I think, of, the more I've thought about it. What do you think? I I think that that there there's some unknowns here. Okay. As, yeah. as somebody who mm-hmm. studied project management, there there's some things we don't know. There, there's some information we're not privy to. One is, okay, we have these cool concept, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. in order to do concept A, which is the hollow foil, and incorporate mm-hmm. concept B, these two arrangements need to work together, and they don't. Yeah. So what can we do? Can we maybe we could put the hollow foil on the base to make the base have some integrity? <laughs> yeah. Or desirable, right? Or desirable. So like people like yeah. like it, you know, like, and then they put the diamond uh-huh. in the non-base. It's just going to be easier for us to produce the cards, mm-hmm. um, and then that way it's just it, we get the best of both worlds. Obviously, we want to have the best, the best of the best for the the diamond card. But mm-hmm. if it's not, if it's going to cost, maybe it's a cost issue too. Like it can be done, but it's going to cost, like, say, much more than the budget allocated for this project. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. You know, mm-hmm. and then like, okay, we we had this idea, but these technologies they work, and we can do it, but it, we're 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 way under budget for it. So why don't we just separate them and put make the base card the hollow finish and the diamond club parallel the flat finish, and that's mm-hmm. what that's what got the okay from management or whatever it is. So there are some things we don't know, mm-hmm. and you and I are like that. Like we see parallels that go up the up the chain, they just get better and better and better. Perfect example is ninety six pinnacle artist proofs. They, yeah, they are museums. They are also mm-hmm. artist proofs. They are mm-hmm. parallels to the base card. They are so many things more interesting than just the base 96 pinnacle card. Exactly. But as you go up the chain of the pinnacle parallels of the base, the foil, the museum, the, and the artist proof, they just get better and better and better. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did that with score too with their artist proofs in 1998. You know, you got the base, the shadow series, and mm-hmm. the, the, the artist proofs. And so things just get better and better. And there, you can go through the the gamut of examples of these things. Like as you go up with rarity, the cards get better looking. 1999 Fleer Brilliance. Base, blue, oh, yeah. gold, 24K. It <laughs> just gets better and better yeah. and better as you exactly. go up through the... That's, I think that that's the best example right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so this is, this is yeah, I mean, we, we, we bring up a good point here is that um, the, the parallel like when I think about it should have been the hollow foil version. It really should. And it would think about how cool those cards would have looked. I mean, probably collectability wise, it would have helped drive even more collectability with the cards because they would have been, they would have kind of floated into that, that like aesthetic echelon of 24 K and, and, um, mm-hmm. a crusade and mirror golds. Um, I just think that those cards had potential to be in that place. And even though they're not, they're still very great cards they're i think they're mm-hmm. rarer than they should be I'll, I'll tell you that for as long as i've been collecting this set they're <laughs> they're rarer than they should be um because mm-hmm. i've never seen you know one of the players cards and i'm like yeah. surely it exists i'll get it sometime but well, this dude jermaine die like what's the big deal you know <laughs> like <laughs> yeah what what the heck and, yeah Where's this the, card? First, the first thing that pops into my mind is Someone saying, "Oh, it's a Jermaine die card. The diamond is probably worth more than the, Jer- the Jermaine die card." Pop that sucker right out of there. Yeah, I'll just take <laughs> out the diamond, go to my local pawn shop, and then they realize it's like this thing isn't worth anything because <laughs> they put a very low grade diamond in these, which is still, you know, a gimmick and whatnot. But I thought, it would... anyways, maybe that's why you haven't seen the Jermaine Jer- die because everybody's harvesting see... <laughs> the diamonds from the Jermaine dies. <laughs> yeah. They're all being harvested. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully one day, maybe a listener right now has that and is going to contact you after this. Oh, so, I who hope knows? so. I, ho- I sure you. hope this is the key to my Jermaine Dye needs. <laughs> so I want yeah. to talk about 96 Diamond Club Parallels because it's something that I think some of us, uh, at least based on this Griffey auction, some of us might not have the knowledge that to arm ourselves to offend against fraudulent activity on eBay, right? So mm-hmm. um, arm mm-hmm. yourself with knowledge, right? So this is what we do. So anyways, exactly. mo- moving forward in the 90s stuff, you know, uh, Rodney, I'm going to have you lead this discussion because you, you, you brought this to, 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 the, to the, 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 the table last time we were talking off the record. The 1998 Pacific Invincible, uh, if you collected these, 
the, we're talking about the the Crammer's choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the jumbos and the standard size, and they come in a, a slew of different colors. Thomas didn't make it into the standard size different colors, but he's in the jumbo colors. Um, mm-hmm. and so um, you were talking, Rodney, about the uh, minim- minimization of marketing for the yeah. the base size different colored 1998 Pacific Invincible Crammer's Choice. You want to talk about it? Yeah, sure. So I've, I've always found this set so interesting because obviously the look of them, and it was one of the first times that you saw at that time a, a, a rainbow of, of parallels. Of course, you know, Marigold, the Marigold, Blue, and, and Red from 96 Select Certified, you saw that first initial concept of a rainbow. But with Pacific Invincible, you saw more than just three colors. You would see blue, green, red, light blue, um, and then a gold as well, and a purple. But um, what always was intriguing to me was whenever I looked it up in Beckett, whether it be back in the late 90s to even more recently, I noticed that if you take a look at a, ni- a pack of 1998 Pinnacle uh, Pacific Invincible, there's no mention of the Kramer's Choice set at all. No pack odds. If you open up a box or find a box, nothing. And I always wondered, like, why is that? Is it Was it a stealth insert? And then the more I thought about it, I, it made me wonder, I'm like, was Beckett, did they miscalculate and print this underneath the Pacifical Invincible set and when it was supposed to be under the Pacific set? Because at least on the 98 Pacific base set or their flagship set, there's a mention of a Kramer's Choice entered. That's one in 721 packs. Um, but of course, the ones in the base flagship set would just be um, th- th- those were not serial numbered, and they were all had the same color background as like a, a bronze, bronze gold f- uh, finish. So then, I, you know, my mind was turning, of course, with no information um, about like, well, where were these inters- Where were these inserted originally? Were they in- invincible? Was this a stealth insert in invincible? And then uh, this thought, like, this was really on my mind for like the past two years, and then uh, about. A week ago, one of my good uh, Griffey collector buddies, he sent me a screenshot of a Beckett from September 1998, and that's Juan Gonzalez on the issue, that showed me a reader's right question, which I love that section in Beckett, that had the person writing into Beckett asking this exact question. And it was cool because they answered the question. And turns out that... Um, there's no marketing on the 98 Pacific Invincible Kramer's Choice uh, colored parallels because the Pacific designers and management team, they were testing different colored foils on the Kramer's Choice inserts. Um, but they were testing this already later in the production stages where marketing had already gone out. So cell sheets had already gone out, um, the packaging for the packs and the wax boxes were already printed. So they liked the foils colored so much that they wanted to utilize those um, colored foils in an insert for that year's product. The 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 sets were in the the like Beckett database, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, people could look them up, but they weren't like you know you were saying that this was a this was you know late adoption, like way late um, in the adoption spectrum for product design and marketing right and so i i i wish i would have i wish thomas was in the set because i probably would have had a a reason to investigate a lot of this earlier on in my collecting career uh Mm -hmm. but i will say that the september 98 issue of beckett is a strong one because (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's the same issue that gives like odds for the various 98 pinnacle epics cards Mm -hmm. and that's not Mm -hmm. anywhere else to my knowledge like it's not databased anywhere else to to my understanding. So um they they must have put a lot of extra time in the ninety eight, the September ninety eight Beckett. Man. Yeah. Really and good Beckett issue. I know. And they mentioned the Pinnacle Certified set and Donruss Limited, both which were never released. Right. And if you think about it, it makes sense. September ninety eight, that's right when Pinnacle was at the beginning of that month in September is when Pinnacle officially filed uh for bankruptcy. So it's also the end of the baseball season for that year. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we're going to see whatever the final releases of 98. There's still a lot to go from September to January for product releases. So that's a that's a quarter. Yeah. You know, exactly. so you've got you've got a 
you've got a lot of months there, but that's, this is good to talk about because, um, for one, for me, because I, Thomas not in it. So he's not in my, my checklist. I don't put him in my, my own database. He's not in there. Mm -hmm. He's on the jumbos, right? There's several of those. Yeah. Um, and, and so, but I have some of the base for other players. Like I like a Tony Gwynn, a, a Larry Walker and some other, an, other standard size green. You might remember the green ones. They had the hand serial mm -hmm. numbers on the back. Yeah. So I picked those up over the years in, in, in bargain bins and whatever. I mean, you don't see that stuff too much these days in bargain bins. I mean, but I've been doing the bargain bin thing for a long time. So I, <laughs> yeah. I found I found those cards over the years. I think it, the, the Gwyn was purchased, um, not a showcase card, but it was like, hey, here's some other stuff you might like that's not in the bargain bin. And I was like, all right, what's the... So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a good thing to discuss. And you know what's interesting? I'm looking at my checklist now, and 98 Pacific Invincible. Thomas doesn't even have uh, a Crammer's Choice in that whole release. So actually, mm -hmm. the Pacific in, um, Invincible stuff that, that I have is... They yeah right they came out of Crown Royal ninety nine that's Royal. what it was mm -hmm. and that's the thing about that's the thing about the the Pacific some of the Crammer's Choice they like come out of different releases I know it was never it was never consistent like the ninety eight base Kramer's every year Kramer's Choice before was in their base flagship set and they did that again in ninety eight where you know it was still it even featured the same color. Uh, the same photo of the player, right? But it just had the same bronze, goldish background. And then they would release the Kramer's parallel, colored parallels, and Invincible. And then the next year they would release it in Crown Royal. Um, and then the next year they would release it in a different one. And it just varied. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just checking, like I was just doing a search for Kramer's Choice in my my database here, and I could do this on my museum too because it's 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 all there as well. But there 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 are parallels here i i i have seen maybe once or twice and others i've never seen so like mm -hmm. the purple one that's autographed i've never seen it right this is the jumbo uh, yeah. this is the jumbo from 99 yeah. crown royal crammer's choice um mm -hmm. the dark blue to 35 i've never seen it the gold to 10 never seen it i've seen the red twice mm -hmm. uh to 25 so i i don't have that one but i like i have the green to 30 and the light blue to 20 and the base card so that's like yeah. not bad, right? So yeah, um, I look at these things and I'm thinking, well, they're so obscure that like, like for one, a jumbo card with this many parallels that are this this this, this rare, I I can't think off the top of my head with without research another set like it. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. this this kind of that has these qualities. That's like jumbo, at least for the Thomas. <laughs> like you you were talking to yeah. these cards, like jumbo, and has all these parallels and their print runs are well below a hundred outside of the yeah. outside of the base card and so yeah. they're actually all below 50 and so that's like and it might be the case is that you know the question that comes to my mind is are the print runs low because the time frame that they had to produce they were like dude just run a couple sheets and then call it a day mm -hmm. because they were so far into the production at that point and they, they you, you and i both know they're on a timeline they had schedule yeah. So was it the case of like, look, we have to get this approved within the next 48 hours. So if you're going to make a decision on the different colors, make it now, but produce them, get them <laughs> out of the way as quickly as you can. And that's where the, maybe it's, that's the, the reason why we got such small print runs on the parallels. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just yeah. thinking about this from like a, if I were in the situation and I see this as the end result, what did the actual interim situation look like? Like what were the, yeah. what were the constraints? What were the. What were the variables that the people had to deal with? You know, what were the what were the things they had to juggle to make sure that they produced this so late in the game? And now yeah. I am looking at these as my in my jumbo database. So I off the cuff, I'd have to like pull up the, you know, what is the, you know, Rodney? Can you tell me off off the top of your head were the print runs pretty low for the various colored parallels for the the base st size? Yeah, green was ninety nine, okay. dark blue was eighty, okay. light blue was fifty. The purples were ten. Okay, golds were fifteen, and reds were twenty five. So like the gold, red, and purple, the highest end, only fifteen cards separate the three of those. Okay, uh, yeah, those colors. So yeah. So they were yeah small. Like I said, Thomas didn't make it into the base size, mm -hmm. so I I don't have that in my database to like reference the 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 the, the, the print runs. I'm glad you have it right there in front of you. So this is an interesting thing because you got to wonder, like, what other sets besides this 98 Crammer's Choice set experience the same outcome, you know, like, that, that we're not talking about because 
yeah, the data is there, but it was it was there's no marketing around it. I mean, granted, how many of us are getting Beckett magazine anymore and looking through their articles? You know, like that's probably a, <laughs> yeah. a rare instance in and of itself. But um, you know, I look at this like it kind of draws a question: What other sets are we not talking about that have yeah. have dealt dealt with this kind of situation? This is kind of a this, well, it's interesting. Yeah, I know. Well, the only other the. Late. I don't know what time of year it came out, but the Donruss Crusades were probably the, are probably the most well-known stealth inserts um, from the 90s era. And it's just, there's also one by Pacific that I think most people are not aware of, which is why I'm glad we get to talk about this and again, bring this one to light. Yeah. And you know, Donruss Crusades are collected heavily uh, mm -hmm. throughout because there's, I, I think there, there are a couple of reasons for that is that Obviously, the set is so big, the print runs are big enough to be widely exposed to the market on any given mm -hmm. day. And people yeah. are going to find them and be like, they're amazing. I don't know anybody who says, like, I don't like the Donner's Crusades. Everybody I know loves them. <laughs> yeah. You know, this yeah. is one of those situations where everybody loves the Donner's Crusades, uh, at mm -hmm. least that I know of. Maybe there's some guy in his basement like, dude, F the Donner's Crusades. I don't like <laughs> Yeah. But I, I look at it as like, dude. Everybody likes the Crusades. They're widely collected. They're heavily, heavily collected and heavily available. So, and the print runs are high. And and mm -hmm. and the the Crammer's Choice set has a smaller number of cards, albeit mm -hmm. a larger number of parallels. So yeah. you still have a variety. But, and I've sold some of these for people over the years, right? So I've seen I've they've passed through my hands for for clients. But, um, uh, the 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 cards I don't see them as frequently. And, you know, yeah. granted, I'm not actively searching for Kramer's Choice because he, Thomas is not in the base colorful run. So I'm I'm not seeing them frequently anyway. But then again, I'm not searching for them. But mm -hmm. then I start to think, like, how, what's more searched, Crusades or you know, uh, Kramer's Choice? It's probably, oh, probably Crusades. It's, uh, yeah, exactly. I don't know, though. I haven't seen the data on it. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, speaking of speaking of Mike Trout. You like how I did mm -hmm. that? <laughs> oh, yeah. We haven't oh, yeah. been talking about Mike Trout. But speaking yeah. of Mike Trout, Mike Trout's 2011 Bowman Chrome Super Fractor gets listed on eBay for $250,000. And mm. I had seen this card in early 2018 on eBay, and I want to say at the time it was $100,000. Uh, it, it was a similar auction at $100,000. I'm like, may as well be a million, right? Like. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah. I may as well put a couple of zeros at the end of that. Who cares at that point? It's not an autographed card. 250K. I mean, you know, I think about Super Fractors and I'm like, yeah, they, they start, they really have grown into this money. How do I say it? Like, like do I say cash grabs like a fair, <laughs> this is like a fair statement uh... to make? That might be a little strong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I may agree with you there, but that that may be a little strong. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I mean, what do you think? I'd be like, do you think like, realistically, if this were at auction, let's say mm -hmm. ninety nine cents, let the market just ride for nine days or whatever it is, and and see where it goes. Where realistically do you think this is going to end? Do you think it's going to be over a hundred thousand? Yeah. I yeah. Do. Yeah. I, because the last sale that we saw, well, like, oh, that we know about was in 2018. The Vegas two day years, purchase? Yeah, that one. And then, like, it's just, this is multiple years later. And it's, like, with time, especially on a card of this high end for, a, of a player like Mike Trout, who just continu continuously puts out great numbers on the field. And then his collector fan base just becomes more and more uh, valuable. More they want everything Mike Trout, yeah. So they're willing to pay. So it just it's going to be higher. I don't know. I really don't even know where to begin. <laughs> I think I just know that it would. It's going to be higher than it was the last sale. I, um, I look at this as like you know this is this is an interesting thing about you know, finances that you you see you see something happen in in a market that, that drives a certain dollar figure. Like it can get there because it's gotten. Mm -hmm. It's gotten there before. It can get there again, and so yeah, um, it's it, 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 it's when I see something get to a place that hasn't gone before. That's when I'm like, wow, that's now it's now we have a record of that, like the first time it got there. Uh, but this because we saw the Vegas day of the half a million dollar oh nine mm -hmm. Bowman Chrome draft superfractor auto. At the time, I was like, man, that's that's a huge dollar figure. But now I'm starting to think <laughs> like maybe that's like 
realistic at this point, you know? Yeah, exactly right. And like at the time, he was the one think maybe he wasn't even thinking. Uh, but like now looking back, it's like hindsight. Oh gosh, how many times have you with a high like a high dollar card, expensive to to, to you relative to whoever you are? You like, man, I should have gotten that card two, three years ago when it was X dollars. I, I should have bought now that trout it, for half a yeah. million. <laughs> yeah. And then now it's like, it's, it's two to three times more. And you're thinking, well, gosh, you know, I, I wasn't thinking that way now, but maybe you need to, maybe I should adjust my way of thought for any time I see that now going forward in the future. And I feel like that type of mindset, um, coupled with the demand of the card in general, coupled with the demand of Mike Trout in general, um, that is what's going to contribute all to a higher price this time or a higher sale this time. Yeah. What, what gets me is that when I like I've made big purchases a lot in my day and, and sometimes I'll get heat or flack from guys like, dude, you waste your money. Think about the you, you mantle you could have bought with us. Like, yeah. Or I could have bought the card I bought. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, I'm yeah, exactly. And That's... the card I bought say is a one of one and I, I could never get the card I bought again, but I could buy the mantle all day long forever. You know, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I think like I get the heat from the guys who are like, dude, you spent that much money. That was a, that was a waste of money. You could have spent it on this. And like, fast forward, man. When in like five <laughs> years, you're gonna probably wish you had been in the running for this card that I acquired that you gave me heat for. You know, exactly. And, may, and I feel like sometimes people give other people heat because they're jealous of the purchase that you made. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll get like, yes, oh, that you're like creeps in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happens too. And and I think that that and the jealousy comes from like self insecurity and like you know inadequacy and inferior inferiority complex and this this the psychology of buying right. And so, mm-hmm. um, I think with the trout, honestly, like two hundred two hundred fifty thousand, I'm like, man, if he gets that, awesome, because there's gonna mm-hmm. be a record of this card that's not autographed selling for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Like, <laughs> my thing, <laughs> my thing is that is that. Trout's still playing. Like, yeah, he's proven exactly. he's proven himself like like three times, four times over, whatever. But he still has a some portion of his career to go. And so anything can happen. You know, like yeah. and so I, I myself, I don't own any trout cards yet. I'm not I'm not yet in a place where I feel like I'm I'm I have a desire to go out and buy something, but I, I might get there in the future. And it's my mm-hmm. hope that Trout does continue to perform as he has and has a great you know, the rest of his career and he is becomes a hall of famer. One of the guys that is talked about around, you know, Mickey Mantle and, and the classics. Mm-hmm. I do hope that because yeah. it's good for the hobby. It's good for baseball. It's good for entertainment. Exactly. Um, it's just good for everything. And so, you know, we're looking at 250 K now as a high price, but maybe in 10 years, we're like, man, that card at one point could have been had for only 250 K. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think a very, very quickly, a, a very good analogy to that is LeBron James's uh, RPA, rookie RPA. Oh yeah, uh, that's number to ninety. Yeah, yeah. number to ninety nine. And you want to go back five years ago, and even longer, ten year, um, ten years ago, people still had or were dealing with the same thing that they were going through with Mike Trout. He is at that time, like five and even ten years ago, he hadn't won a championship yet. Ten years ago, right? But. Um, he was still considered to be one of the best players in the game, if not, well, not in 2010. But either way, he, his hype was already there, but he was actually living up to it. And then, like, from 2010 to 2015, he added his, his, uh, his multiple championships. Um, and then you're dealing with the RPA. You, who knows what it would have gone for? Um, you're thinking back, like, gosh, well, I should have gotten it back in 2010 before he won his first title, or I should have gotten it before 2016 when he won his first title in Cleveland. And then it goes on and so so on and so forth. And now that card is a untouchable. card. Untouchable. Untouchable. Exactly. And it's the same thing with this Trout. Um, like, I think it's the same type of mindset. You're dealing with a guy who is living up. Well, he didn't have – well, he had high standards, um, but not like LeBron James. But still, he's the best player in the game, most recognizable. It's going to go up. So what I like so. about Trout is he wasn't like this like hyped up prospect. Mm-hmm. He just yeah, became, exactly. he, he was on the scene, and then like a couple of years later, he's like, oh my gosh, this guy's producing. While mm-hmm. everybody was chasing like you know Bryce Harper and other prospects, and those guys are great too, but mm-hmm. they they had a lot of hype around them, and there's no way to yeah. there's no way to like meet up the hype. So I understand what players have to go through. I don't understand it because I'm not a pro athlete, but I could understand mm-hmm. that there's it's probably difficult to have that hang hang over your head. Trout didn't have to have that, so he was able to produce kind of on his own mm-hmm. and i thought that was cool yeah 
Um, the RPA is interesting because, like, in 2008, I looked at a Beckett for basketball, and I saw the RPA for, for LeBron, and back then it was $22,000, if, yeah. if memory recalls correctly. And I was like, man, $22,000 for that card. That's incredible. Like, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's the highest-priced modern basketball card, like, I've ever mm -hmm. seen in a, in a price guide. If fast-forward, that card now sells for, like, over 200 k yeah, an exactly. eight, and an eight, <laughs> you know, like it's and an eight, yeah. You know, it's mm -hmm. like I'm thinking, my like, gosh, it's and it's just the sky's the limit on that card. It's numbered to ninety nine. Yeah, there, there's exactly. this isn't a one of one. This is a ninety nine. <laughs> ninety nine, exactly. <laughs> so it's just a really amazing card. I, I don't ever expect to ever own that, but it's kind of fun to watch the market. There, there are guys on like Instagram who share show off their collection. There's some really amazing collections there, and oh and yeah, like one guy bought this card last year. I'm like, man, that's. Now that's that's a card to have, you know, if he keeps yeah. it up. It's just such a cool thing. So I wanted to talk about the, the the trout. I'm glad we got to discuss that because it's it's interesting to talk about values now as and compared to how they how they relate to values in the future. Exactly. You know? Cool, cool. Mm -hmm. Next up, we're going to be talking about Tops Project 2020, which is uh, a product released by Tops this year and it incorporates artist renditions of classic rookie cards uh, dating back through the decades and so there's there's a there's a variety of different players uh featured obviously because they're classic rookie cards thomas griffey ripkin ichiro trout um guys like that and not all of them are rookie cards you got a version of that's a 52 tops uh, jackie robinson so there's a lot to collect they're they're artistic renditions with their own kind of unique spin on the cards uh we're going to be talking about this kind of in a, from the concept of do we need another reprint right does the market need another reprint because tops has got this trend going where they're producing reprints of of uh classic rookie cards have been doing that for a long time so let's get right into it here now if mm -hmm. you're unfamiliar with this I, I came across this because thomas is in the set and um you know tops has been doing this for a while they've been producing reprints of the classic cards for years like almost every year it seems like there's the 1990 tops thomas you know, <coughs> replicated in some form uh whether mm -hmm. it be like chrome finisher is they got the, uh, the clear translucent acetate finish with an autograph on it or mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. they've embedded in a medallion embed was 2019 um 2020 they did this tops project 2020 which is like you know for the for the purest in me i don't like to i don't like to touch the classics or just leave them alone and i'm kind of torn i'm like you know there's certain designs i think are cool i think the concept in itself is a cool concept and i'm gonna i'm gonna get to i'm gonna re rediscuss that here in a sec but i'm thinking how many times do we have to take a classic card and water it down again like this you know mm -hmm. like how many times mm -hmm. does the market want to gonna gonna want to buy a 1990 tops frank thomas like 80 times over just being done so many different times it doesn't touch the classic card the classic card to me maybe valued less but still at of paramount significance as opposed to anything you can reproduce so mm -hmm. you know rodney talk to me about kind of like your take on this how you feel about it when you mm -hmm. first saw it what did you think have you do you do you have the sort of observation that i do that they that tops has been tinkering with reproductions of the classics for so many years tell me what's on your mind yeah i i agree that um they've been tops is rightfully trying to bring back classics uh from the 90s 80s 90s of, of popular players who don't play anymore uh, even and even of the current players, because uh, it goes back beyond just the '80s and '90s. But I'm personally, I'm not a fan. Uh, I don't I don't collect modern, and the way that uh, Tops produces cards, where they have they take a card, repack, buy back, autograph, put it into a pack, or they take a card, like you were saying with the Frank Thomas, and give it an acetate background, like in Tops Tier One, autograph it right. and from. So on and so forth. It's like re reiterations of a same of a classic tops card, and you know, I there are people out there that enjoy that and collect it, and I'm glad they enjoy it. it makes them happy. Um, it's of course things like that, and even tops uh, project 2020. It's not for everyone, but I'm glad that there are people out there that do enjoy it. But I'm like, I guess I I could be considered a purist, where if I like the original 1989 Topps traded Griffey rookie card um, to keep in to keep kind of its its aura and mystique 
maybe once every five years, uh, insert it in as a, a buyback, an autograph, and stamp it, you know, one of one, one of five, whatever it may be, because I know that's autographs and game used drive the market, or now they put in relics like gold medallions or whatever. Um, I think that's nice, but to do it every single year is, uh, to me, that's a turnoff. Um, and that's also kind of a, ta- a turnoff to me and, and modern in general, but that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but with Project 2020, I, at least it's an, the idea of the concept of having different artists um, take it and put their own spin on it. You know, um, it's not for me. Uh, the people really like the design and, you know, hey, that's the collectability. You could collect what you collect. I just don't like that they uh, they they redo it the same card every year but then also take one of his most iconic tops cards and redo it I'm, I'm thinking why not do that with uh 1993 top stadium club right give that to an artist and then yeah. with tops with project 2020 there's 20 different versions of the same card just 20 different artists or designs and backgrounds i think it would have been cool or maybe better to do to feature a different artist features a different top scriffy card because that would be really neat so you know we bring up some uh, we bring up some interesting topics here. Is it one? I I I like the concept of incorporating our art artists into mm-hmm. producing baseball cards. I, I, I artist proofs. I mean the the what is it the what's that one from ninety um, seven tops gallery? Peter Max? <laughs> yeah, it's a Max. Yeah, this is like the one yeah. that comes to I mind. I love like, those cards. That those one are awesome. Those are so rad. I'm like, man, yes. that that was like kind of like a benchmark that that you know. It's funny that the Max autograph is underneath the the, the finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so cool. And see, and the thing is, I love that card. They only did it one year, so yeah. I didn't, it was novel. It wasn't watered down to me. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like when it's watered down, or you're doing 20 different versions of it, I'm like, I don't think I would have enjoyed 20 different versions of Peter Max's rendition. Right. Of, a Griffey card. Yeah, and but, so hey. uh, so uh, just to make it clear, I like the concept of incorporating other people's talents into the production yeah, of baseball same here, cards. Same I'm a huge here. fan. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. think that it's like it might it, it might behoove us to pick cards that haven't been reproduced so many times. And it hey. actually, what I would do if I was in charge of the project is like let's pick cards that really nobody cares about. People don't, <laughs> yeah. people don't talk about, and people have basically forgotten, and it's hard to move these for free. Let's get those cards on board. You know how cool it's like you yeah. were saying the '93. The ninety three um Top Stadium Club. Top Stadium yeah. Club. What if what if also it was like the ninety three tops card with the two players, like the all star card? Like that was oh, yeah. was produced or like mm-hmm. you know, maybe um uh maybe like a checklist card that features a player on it or something, like something that's mm-hmm. that's not it's not obvious. And and yeah. I think that if you do that, people may go back and pre buy the originals, which may re stimulate exactly. some interest in some of the yeah. like the lower end pieces. You know, make mm-hmm. make it so not obvious to where like, yeah, this is cool. You know why it's cool? They picked the car that that I forgot existed, and they recreated into this really cool thing. And they made it look better or unique more so than I did when I first saw it X number of years ago when it first came out. Um, I'd probably be more inclined to acquire it because it's so obscure in that way. Like, I forgot that that card existed. So cool. And I'm thinking of cards not even made by Tops that I'd like to be like added in. Like, you you, you remember um triple play from 92 and 93 <laughs> yeah that's yeah. a don russ release so panini would have to be responsible for that part of it but i still think like those are the cards that i'm like man minimally collected you know not a huge rookie mm-hmm. card roster in those sets right but cool inserts like that's what i think about it when i when i think about these tops project 2020 which is essentially incorporating artists into create re- recreating the uh the classic rookie cards of various decades prior cool concept mm-hmm. i like it i do like it so i want to talk about that because i know you and i as you know people have been collecting for a long time uh, we've seen a lot of what tops has given us if not all of it right um mm-hmm. and so it's kind of interesting but it's it's become almost predictable now to see buybacks and reproductions every year yeah what you talked about earlier like that's a problem that you have with modern i i think about with me is that i don't want to see a a design brought back I want to yeah. see I want to see a theme, a concept, an idea incorporated into a modern design. That's what I'd rather see. Like uh Yes. Panini does this really well with their Donner's Elite stuff. They don't bring back any previous Donner's Elite mm-hmm. designs. They just recreate that concept into a modern design and they like remake their own new version of it and it looks awesome. Oh, I know. Like for example, the Panini status in basketball 
I don't know if you've seen those. Okay. They look incredible. I mean, it has a 90s retro feel to it, but still a modern design. It's awesome. And, of course, it it has – Panini has a license in basketball oh, for yeah. players. But awesome. uh, regardless, <laughs> regardless of that, it, it the card itself, it, it's awesome. It's unique. It's not a copy of what was produced in the 90s. And it stands alone, but it's still paying homage to what came out originally and where its its, it's roots are. Yeah. So. I I you know, and I, a lot of people dog on Panini. I I like what Panini does with a lot of their stuff. I mean, it's it's like anything else. Like you're gonna like some of it, you're not gonna like some of it. But I I like the Panini that produces some some of the, some of their catalog to me is like some of the best stuff on the on the market. Um, mm-hmm. and, and not everybody likes it because, you know, there's certain licensing they, they don't have, so they're not able to produce like certain logos for certain you know, sports. And so you kind of mm-hmm. miss out on some of that, but they, I think they do a good job for their limitations. I honestly do. I, I like that. And, and tops, I like the, I like the, like I said, I like the concept of project 2020. I just think that the, the cards chosen to be reproduced or the, that particular angle has been watered down for so many yeah. years now. You know, because I look at pretty much anything in a certain era as a classic at this point. Like '93, anything to me is classic. Mm-hmm. You know, '92, mm-hmm. anything is classic, and the further back you go, it just becomes heritage at that point. Um, and so, I want to talk about this because it's a concept that I thought is interesting, but because it's the same card they've I've seen produced every year consistently for many years for Thomas, I'm like. I don't know if I'm going to go out of my way to try to get one. Maybe I'll see one in person someday, like maybe change my mind because it's like maybe in person they're a different, it's a different experience. I don't mm-hmm. know. But um, this is something to talk about because uh, it's a, it's, it's a product that just came out. It's brand new. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thanks for getting on this with me. Rodney, that, that kind of clears us up with this particular agenda. Do you have any final thoughts? No, I'm glad we were able to cover a, a good gamut of topics and, um, yeah, again, as always, appreciate you having me on. Yeah, of course. Thank you for joining us, Rodney. Thank you for tuning in to Radicards Podcast and Radicards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Reno. And until next time, enjoy collecting. If you like this content, please subscribe. Thank you. Enjoy collecting. <laughs>